couple things here. Um, we're talking about remembering today. And I grabbed this book out. Um, Dr. Pepper started back in 1962. Uh, something different. But here's some other things that happened way back when that I know I didn't remember because I wasn't quite old enough to remember. One of the fastest climbs in television history, the Beverly Hillbillies went from brand new show to number one in five weeks. The Jetsons became the first program to be broadcast in color. Uh, flip around some others. Uh, just went blank on that one. I'll have to come back to it. But, you know, with all the inflation stuff like there, how about a dozen eggs, 45 cents? Love to have that one. Uh, ice cream, I bought some last night. We're going to have it for lunch. But a half gallon, 49 cents. I think I bought the cheap stuff yesterday, and it was $2.49. Milk, 28 cents a gallon. I wish it was that way when my boys were growing up. Life would have been a whole lot cheaper. Um, There's some sports things in here. You know, I'm a big baseball fan. There it is. I um, went blank on it. Wilt Chamberlain, first person ever to score 100 points in a basketball game, 1962. So those are some different things that we can try to remember. You know, some of them kind of trivial. Some of them don't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, we remember and we want to remember for a reason. Uh, today, this is, you know, think about it. This is going to be a gently used sermon. Think about it. You know, you've got to, you might go out and get a used car. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes if you get like a good pair of boots, um, my son's getting ready to order a pair of boots and they tell him the first 100 hours is going to be pure misery because they're not broke in yet. But as you go on with age, things start to break in and get a little bit better. The cover on this Bible is, you know, I don't know, 40 some years old. It's broke in. The Bible's also broke in. I was joking with Matthew yesterday. He goes, which version are you going to use? I said, well, if this one holds together, I'm going to use this one because I'm most comfortable with it. One thing I see here too, there's a lot of grandparents here today. There's at least, I counted a few seconds ago, there's at least five, maybe six, three-generation families here today. For you grandparents out there, your memory disappears when your last grandchild dies. That's sobering. Now, I, I can almost guarantee you right now, my children I know my children do not have remember, they don't have memories of my grandfather, my grandmother. That's my job to pass on. Unless you're really famous, like a George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, your memory might disappear. And I've brought that up before. Sometimes we forget and we'll go through things like that. I remember a play that I was in in Christmas when I was in high school and I had a really important part and I got there and it came to my part and I'm just sitting there staring off in space. My line was, sometimes we forget. Naturally, the whole congregation thought that was kind of funny. So before I forget the rest of it, let's open up a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, help us not to forget. Help us to look back and remember the wonderful works that you've done for us, for our forefathers, for all the patriarchs of the Bible that you gave us as an example that we could learn and glean and some of the things we talk about today were not good memories. Some of them will be bad memories. But help us to remember and honor and sanctify you. 
We'll start out today in Genesis chapter 40. I, two of my favorite Old Testament people, uh, get the right spot here. Two of my favorite Old Testament people were Joseph and Daniel. And it's kind of interesting, I didn't even need a colorful thing on that because when I went to my Bible, that was where that one marker was at. What I like about Joseph, uh, you know, both Joseph and Daniel, you really don't hear anything negative about them in the Bible. There are a few things that you can pick up on, but most of the time what you hear about their lives are positive. And when we go to Genesis chapter 40, we're kind of picking up in the middle of Joseph's life. And uh, so he was sold into slavery at approximately age 17. And when we get to this stage right here, he's probably about 28. So he's probably lived at least 11 years in slavery. He's had a lot of things that have happened to him. And one thing we can look at at Joseph when we go through this, think about this. Joseph, no matter what his situation, Joseph found a way to prosper. He was gifted and, and he had a talent for organization and management. And God saw that those skills were recognized and rewarded no matter where he was at. In prison, in Potiphar's house, He was quickly placed in charge and granted executive authority. One of the things I learned in college and it stuck with me for years and years and years, it was a 7 a.m. class. Uh, One phrase, God has given me everything I need for my present happiness. Life could be really, really miserable, but he's given me everything I need. I need to look and go, I need to go find it. So here we see we are at Joseph and he's been in jail, uh, And even as we look at this, let me go back a little bit. I believe it is, okay, go back to 39 a little bit. And it came about when the master heard the words of his wife, which she had spoken to him. After all, she tried tempting him in. Joseph did the right thing. He fled. He took off. He ran. This is what your slave did to me. And his anger burned. In one of the translations, it says he was furious. Who is he furious at? Was he furious at Joseph or was he furious at his wife? It's kind of interesting. One of the commentators that I was read at this point in time said, you know, Joseph's in jail, possibly with a light sentence. And the the way the text looks at Potiphar was furious, but who? The text very well could indicate it was directed towards his wife and not at Joseph. I think Potiphar knew Joseph's character. I think Potiphar knew what Joseph was capable of doing what J- Joseph would do. And in the end, if very possible, it was directed at his wife, who just cost him his best servant and very possibly his best manager of his household affairs he'd ever had. It's a couple ways of looking at it. 11 years, Joseph had matured a lot. And so, you know, he got thrown in jail. We know it wasn't just. We knew it wasn't, un- we knew it was unfair, but he got thrown in jail just the same. Again, I think God protected him. God, he most likely got a light sentence. He was in with the king's prisoners. Well, it probably wasn't maximum security or the pit like his brothers threw him into. He was still there, but he quickly rose in power because people knew they could trust him. People knew that they could count on him to do what's right. So he's in there, and he's there for a while, we ha- and a couple of the other king's servants get thrown in. We know the story, the baker and the cupbearer. Again, these weren't just you know, little servants. These were major servants. These were people that had high ranking in Pharaoh's court. 
It wasn't just a cupbearer to bring the drink, but the guy that was in charge of everything that had to do with drink in the organization. He made sure everything was right. The baker was in charge of all the baking, not just a minor position, but major positions. But they come in, they get thrown in jail, and they have basically the same dream on the same night. There's two of them. And when you go back and look at the way that time period looked at dreams, anytime you had two of something at the same time, it usually meant something. And they took that as being very important. We also know that, you know, one had a good outcome, one had a bad outcome. So it came about uh, in uh, verse 40. Or chapter 40, came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king offended their lord, the king of Egypt, and the Pharaoh was furious at these two officials. I wonder if it was the same as Potiphar, I'm not sure. I should have checked those words. So he confined him in a certain jail, and I'm skipping down a little bit. Uh, then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each one with his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning... And observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We've had a dream, there's no one to interpret it. And Joseph said, Do not all interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. I'm going to stop there for a second. You know, Joseph had learned something dreams and interpretations come from God. Think about Daniel several centuries later. And I wonder if Daniel reflected back and remembered reading in the Torah where Joseph is said to have said this. Now Pharaoh's cup was, and he went through and he said, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and, and I put it back into Pharaoh's hand. He said to him, the interpretation is this, three branches of three days and in three days you're going to be restored to your kingdom. In verse 14, only keep me in mind, or other translations, only remember me when you get back and get restored. I've been here. I'm in jail. I really don't think I should be in jail, but remember me. Keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Of course, we know the other, the other one, in three days, he was put to death. So here we, have, we see, so here Joseph's taking the first thing we look at. We can't rely on miracles. You know, if we relied on miracles, we would just sit back and wait for God to do whatever we needed. Joseph didn't wait on a miracle he saw an opportunity. He, he saw something where God intervened. God put two people there in his presence, one with access to the ruler of the land. Remember me that I might get out of here. If we can't rely on miracles or if we try relying on miracles, another thing is we might be bound to be disappointed in God. Maybe God doesn't answer that miracle as fast as we think. And we lead to an possible an abandonment of faith in our God. God's given us everything we need for our present happiness. Are we going to take advantage of what he's given? Or are we going to sit back and wait for God to do everything for us? 
Another thing here, and I, I briefly alluded to that, seeing one's talents as gifts from God is the antidote for arrogance. You know, Rush Limbaugh comes to mind real quick. You know, he, he claimed that his talent was on loan from God. He had that part right. Did he use all his talents for God's work? I, I'm not going to judge that. But, you know, we look at Joseph. When Joseph was young, he bragged about his dreams. He told them, hey, you guys are all going to bow down to me. Mom, Dad, you're going to bow down to me. And it even troubled Jacob that his son would say stuff like that. He bragged. But now, again, like I mentioned, Daniel later, he realized those dreams came from God. He was a much humbler person. God had humbled him, realizing where those talents came from and how he was supposed to be using them. Memory must be deliberately kept alive. The cupbearer, his behavior was probably a lot like ours. Uh, it reflected people's tendency to make generous promises to everybody around them when they're in distress, but quickly forgotten when their situation improves. There's, if you go on to the life of Joseph, there's a lot of things even there where we see some really distressful promises. Reuben promising to Jacob that he could kill his two sons if they didn't bring Benjamin back. A hasty, hasty promise. Is that the type of promises we want to do? But some of the other things we can think about that God put in our, put in our, so put in our path so we could remember. You know, after Adam and Eve sinned, he put the angel with the sword at the gate. You can't go back in here. You have sinned against me. You cannot be in this place until I provide a pathway for redemption for that sin. You cannot go back in. And that was not during their lifetime. They could never go back in. Noah, Noah's rainbow. It was placed there in the sky for a sign of remembrance that God would never destroy the earth that way again. Even today, we see it. We love it when we see a rainbow or a double rainbow or even for chance a triple rainbow if the sky and conditions are just right. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan, they had them put, get two sets, of, two sets of stones. They put standing stones in the middle of the Jordan and standing stones on the one side. Why? So that way, when your grandchildren ask, why are those there? You can tell them of God's provision and God's grace. A lot of things of remembrance. People need to keep memories alive by deliberately thinking about people or events. Today, we're focusing on people and events in the Bible. But there's people and events in your lives we need to keep alive. Or... What happens if we don't? They're going to forget about everything good, bad, or even evil. If you go on a little bit further in uh, Joseph's life, when his first son is born, he talks about being forgotten or forgetting his family. He's kind of put them aside. 
because of everything that happened. And I don't think at that point in time, the way it kind of says, he almost never expects to see his family again. But without remembering good, gratitude will never be sustained. If we don't remember the good, we're not going to be thankful. Gratitude's not going to be there. One of the phrases I learned in college, you know, when gratitude dies in a man's heart, that man's well nigh hopeless. Are we grateful for what we have? Are we grateful for what we've been given? Without remembering evil, people are likely, and in many cases, destined to repeat it. We've got to prevent the evil when we see it. We see a lot of stuff in our world today where evil's coming up, and finally people are starting to take a stand for it. Good men, good women, good Christians need to stand up for what's right. So I, I paused for quite a while with Joseph, and I love the story of Joseph. And in many ways, Joseph could be a whole month of sermons on itself, just going through the different things he had. Let's get forward now to Judges. In Judges uh, chapter 16, we've got the story of Samson. And Samson's not one of those people you probably want your son to grow up to be like. Yeah, he was blessed of God. He was a Nazarite from birth. One of three that I know of that were told, never cut your hair. Nazarite from birth. He knew that he had talents or skills that was God given to him, but I don't think he fully honored God with them. And kind of the thing here, we get into verse 16, or chapter 16 of Judges. Uh, he'd gone through his life. He'd finally fallen to the wiles of Delilah. She figured out what it was, made his strength, and she cut his hair off. He became weak. They gouged his eyes out. Then he became more so just a slave to grind grain for him. So they have a big festival, and we get down to verse 28. There's this big festival, and he talks to him, and he says, just put me on the pillars of supporting here so I can rest a little bit. But he says, God, remember me. Was it remember me to be honored of God, to show God's glory? No, to avenge my eyes. God honored the request. And, you know, it says that he, he killed more Philistines in his death than he did during his life. But didn't it seem kind of odd that the Bible put there, remember me, restore my strength so I can avenge my eyes. The next one, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here is the second person that I know of, and, I, and I'm sure in the Bible, that it was story about being born a Nazarite. The razor should not touch his head. But it's an interesting thing here, and we're going to read a little bit more of this. There was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jerome. And skipping down, he had two wives. The first one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh and the Sons of Eli, Hopni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord there. And the day came that Elkanah sacrificed and would give portions to Maniah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb, and it happened year 
after year. Just see that digging in year after year. Sons and daughters, how many children did Hannah or have uh, Peniel have? Probably a lot. Probably happened for year after year. She wept and would not eat. Skipping down a little bit early, farther, she goes to worship. She goes to give her sacrifice. And she was greatly distressed, and she prays to the Lord, and she weeps bitterly. And she makes a vow. She says, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the afflictions of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor will never come upon his head. Thank you, though, when she was doing this, Eli the priest saw her. And by the way she was so broken, the way she was praying with such fervency and intensity, he thought she was drunk. He saw that. He saw the distress. He came over and he said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine. He rebuked her. But I love, I love her response. But Hannah answered said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. How many times have we really poured out our soul before the Lord? Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I've spoken until now out of great concern and provocation. And Eli, with his wisdom that God had given him, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked of him. He didn't know what it was. Hannah didn't share it with him. But Eli knew to go. Tell her to go, and God would answer. And then we know the rest of the story. Samuel was born. You know, people are going to hurt us. God extends his grace and his love to us. She prayed from the depth in her anguish and resentment. But Eli, go in peace. May May the God of Israel grant that petition you've requested from him. Samson saw, or saw, Sam, or excuse me, Samuel heard God even as a young child. A lot of it, I think, because his mother prayed over him. She taught him in the time that she had him before she turned him over to the church, to the, to the temple. And he heard God at an early age, and God told him, I'm going to use you, and he did. The next one's a little bit sadder. Let's go to Job 14, 13. Here in Job, um, again, this is about the middle of the book, and Job has had all these things, and his friends have turned on him, cursed God and die. His wife has kind of given up on him. And it comes down in this chapter, and Job's in his... Despair continues to shift his thinking. Now he even entertains the possibility of death and that death might not even end us. So here, verse 13, Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in Sheol, that thou wouldst conceal me until thy wrath returns to thee, that thou wouldst set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. 
He hopes that God's anger will pass. He doesn't really know that it's not necessarily God's anger that's causing this. It's God allowing Satan to, to see if he will turn. But he's hoping that God's anger will pass. He hopes that God will remember him favorably and act on Job's behalf. Psalm 25.7. It's kind of interesting. David is a man after God's own heart. David has his up days, his down days. And a lot of times when we see remember me in the Bible, it's usually because there's some sort of struggle or some sort of trial and he's looking for help. When I first, um, when I was reading through this, I actually hit the wrong chapter. And Psalm 20, I was in Psalm 27, and I'm going, wait a minute, this sounds too positive. He's not asking God for help. This is, he's rejoicing. But in Psalm 25, um, I like it. Verse, I'll read a couple verses here. To thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in thee I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Don't let my enemies exalt over me. We've got songs written about this psalm today. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. But as we get down into verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. One of the other, uh, one of the other, uh, one of the other passages, or one of the translations, Remember, God, I want you to remember your compassion. I want you to forget my sins. And I want you to forget my acts of rebellion when I was young. There's very few of us have not done stupid stuff when we were young. I'm probably one of the chiefest ones. You know, you do things, you wonder why. And I, you know, I've joked sometimes I don't, I don't live with regret. But yeah, there's certain things I think I regret. I regret doing because I paid the price for it later on. But here... David is coming forward and saying, remember the, your compassion. Be compassionate for me. Do not remember those sins of my youth. And one that there's not a, there's not a slide up here for, but uh, you know, so when we look at, uh, you know, we talked about standing stones and memorials and stuff like that. Sometimes if you look at, you know, for me, my Bible has got a lot of memorial things in it. I can flip back a couple pages, and here's a celebration of life of one of my best friends. Uh, it's stuck in here. Another place in here, if I flip around, there's a picture of my wife and of one of our sons that we never thought would be born. And a celebration of life on that end of the spectrum. I have different things in here. Uh, Here's a little sermon that I gave at one point in time, and as I was telling Brenda this morning, I said, oh, no, part of this is almost the same as this, and I'm rehashing it, and I didn't realize it. But, you know, so I've got things in here. And then when I go to this next passage in Psalm 78, uh, it was kind of interesting here. This was something I was going through my grandmother's Bible. And I think I've talked about it before, but I was going through my grandmother's Bible, and if you look at my wife's Bible and even another one of the Bibles I have, you're going to see notes that are made in it. And this is a note in my grandmother's Bible for Psalm 78.6. That says that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children 
that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Again, we talked about multi-generations here today. We've got grandfathers, grandsons, sons, daughters. Part of our job is to teach that next generation. Help them remember the things that we've seen. Some of the pitfalls that we've stumbled in that they can try to avoid. Kind of comes up the next one, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This one here can kind of be a little depressing. First, it starts out, and everybody kind of knows the first part. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Then part B, before the evil days come, the years draw nigh when you'll say, I have no delight in them. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we went down and took a trip, and my wife and I banter back and forth about being old. Our grandchildren say we're old. Uh, so we're going down, we're driving down the interstate, and I said, ask Siri how old old is. Siri says, if you're between 60 and 65, you're old. I said, turn that thing off. <laughs> In many ways, old is just a number. Age is just a number. I know people that at 50, they're old. I know people in their 90s that are spry and going strong and still going, but, you know, but, you know, if you go through the rest of this thing, in the, this verse in Ecclesiastes, it talks about, you know, how the eyes can't see very well and you can't walk very hard. And we know that as we get older, things get harder. Can't do things quite the way I used to do. I, I told someone the other day, I wish sometimes I was 10 to 15 years younger with some of the things that are happening at work. But we got youth and we've got our youth around us that we can teach. One of the things that kind of keeps me grounded as a memorial, uh, this is a plaque that hands, hangs in my office. My wife got it for me. It keeps me grounded. And um, I have it behind me. I got a clock above it, and it hangs, uh, excuse me, it hangs on the other side of my room. My clients don't see it. I basically see it. Some of them have read it. But it says, it will not matter what my bank account was. Okay, this is all right, 100 years from now. 100 years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house that I lived in, or the kind of car I drove, but the world may be a different place because I was important to the life of a child. Are we making a difference in those lives? The little ones. Yeah, there's a lot of life ahead of them. And that keeps me grounded when I look at that. It's not about the size of the bank account, the car, the house. It's what differences we can make in the lives of those around us. So wisdom of Solomon, remembering your youth. You know, think about Joseph. He had, took him 11 years of slavery, probably to start getting things right. Samson probably never got it. Samuel heard the voice of God as a youth. There's a German proverb that I heard my grandparents say, uh, they were Swiss, but they spoke in German. Uh, said, you know, too soon old, too late smart. We get old way too soon. Sometimes it takes us a long time to get those smarts. And this is what someone said about that phrase. He says, we often learn the deeper lessons of life by bitter experiences and mistakes of our youth. It's a rare life that doesn't generate some regrets over our mistakes. 
Now, I told you that this was a slightly recycled message. Uh, And as we get into the last one, we're going to be going to Luke. But the person I heard this from, far greater, I will never be a preacher like him. But I respect him. I love his wisdom. And this was something I heard a couple weeks ago, and I have chewed on it and chewed on it and chewed on it. And when Chris said that he possibly wasn't going to be able to speak today, I said, that's okay. God's been putting something in my mind. I'm not a good one. I'll admit, I'm not a good one for just reading sequentially through things. I've got to get something. I've got to chew on it for a long time. Sort of like our dogs. We give them a bone, and sometimes that bone disappears in a day. And sometimes it takes weeks to get rid of it. Sometimes with me, God throws me a bone, and it takes me a while. Someone, uh, and even I was texting with Matthew yesterday, and I said, that's okay. I've been chewing on this for a while. I just got to put a little more meat back on it so we can do it. But here we got... Uh, In Luke 23, I'm going to start in verse 39. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Prayer of a prisoner, thought of a thief. You know, there's a song that oftentimes we sing. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath its flow, leave all their guilty stains. Second verse, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. He understood that he was being justly punished for what he did wrong. He knew he did it. He was wrong. He, he, he knew he needed to be there. He also understood he had no standing before God. He had no hope, but he cries out. Remember me. Remember me. I've got, you know, in his case, he had 24 hours to live. Remember me. Give me grace. The the difference between him and Joseph. Joseph was talking to an official of the king. This thief was talking to the king of kings. And instantly speaking to the king of kings, the king of kings turns to him and said, You'll be with me in paradise. You see the grace and love that I'm willing to give. You know that I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And as we get ready to close this section, have you received that grace? Lord, remember me. Save me. Are you applying that grace to our lives? Your life, you know? My fears. My faults. My failures. God's grace is sufficient for all. As we close out this session here, I don't want you to run from God. I want you to run to God. Find his grace. Find his truth. His steadfast love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've taken a very quick path, tour through your word. We've talked about several heroes of the faith that learned the lessons and proclaimed them to their children, their grandchildren. 
They wanted to make a difference for you. They realized that possibly they'd been arrogant and they asked you to forgive that and help them to be the servant that you wanted them to be. Heavenly Father, today as we look at this, let's, let's use that thief on the cross as an example for us. Let us run to you, run to Christ. We deserve all that. We deserve the death and punishment. Because your son's dying on the cross, we have become whole. And we've accepted that. We ask now as we examine our hearts, as we move to the next phase of this service and communion, that we examine our hearts. And even as Pastor Chris has been preaching the last several weeks, we'd make sure our hearts are right with you and with those around us. In your precious name, amen.